Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. All right, how are you today? I am well. It is well with my soul. Um, All right, so let me lead off with the headline that probably is leading off everywhere this morning, and that is that Judge Amy Coney Barrett is now Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, She was confirmed by a majority vote of the U.S. Senate and sworn in as a Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America last night at the White House. Uh, We pray for her. We pray for the court. We pray for the nation this morning. I recognize that deep divisions persist among us, but in all of that, we persist to be the the people of God. And I think that's where I want to settle in for just a moment. Uh, Here is what I know. Here is what I know. You could put a big, you could have put a big K at the beginning of that no. Um, This isn't just knowledge. This is an acknowledgement. This isn't just something happening in my head. This is something happening throughout my being. This is what I know. On November 4th or November 14th or whenever it is that we know the final outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election, here is what I know. God is God. This I know. God will still be God on November the 4th. God will still be God on November the 14th. God will still be God whenever it is that we know the final outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election, no matter who wins and no matter who loses. God will still be God. And our primary role in life and in death will still be to glorify him. That's it. That's the main thing. Everything else is secondary. Everything. God is worthy to be praised in war and in peace. God is worthy to be praised. Under socialism or fascism or communism or representative democracy, God is still worthy to be praised. Win or lose, God is worthy to be praised. God is faithful and God is just. Car games. Do you play car games in your car? Do you um, play car games in your car even when you're in your car by yourself? Uh, to keep yourself awake sometimes. Well, and you don't have, you know, fantastic mornings with Carmen to listen to. Sometimes uh, we play car games in our car. Uh, Actually, we do a lot. And um, we go around, so there's normally four of us in the car, and uh, we just rotate through A, B, C, D, E, F, and just, you know, so we have an endless number of ABC type, I'll call them car games. Uh, You can do animals, you can do characters of the Bible, you can do country names, Um, You can do all kinds of things, all right? So you can also do the attributes of God, characteristics of God, attributes of God. And so uh, here are some ABCs just this morning, in case you needed to do some ABCs. God is almighty, beautiful creator, deliverer, eternal, faithful, forgiver, glorious, holy, infinite, just, kind, Lord, 
merciful, near, omnipresent, omnipotent, one. I can't ever just do one O. I have to do, there's like 50 of them, so I have to do a bunch of O's. Powerful, oh, patient. Apparently, I could only, I had to do two P's as well today. Quick, righteous, savior. True, unchanging, victorious, wise. The X one always throws us off a little bit. I just like to do uh, X as uh, the example of the Greek letter that represents Christ or Christos. Uh, everybody thinks that's cheating. Um, and so they, li- they like to use words that start with an E and f- are followed by an X. So um, God is excellent. Uh, comes up a lot in our car game. And then finally, zealous. Oh, X, Y, Z. I missed the Y. We always do Yahweh. Uh, yeah, the the Y word in our family for God is always Yahweh. Uh, and then zealous. God is good no matter what. Let's be mindful of that today. Nick Picks is, Pitts is waiting in the wings. He and I are going to talk through some of the headlines today. We'll be right back. Joining me now, you can find him um, on Twitter at JNickPitts. You can also find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. Uh, Nick, welcome back. Hey, so good to be with you, Carmen. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Paul is calling me out. He says that putting an E in front of the X is also cheating. So Yeah, they're both cheating. I mean, <laughs> come on. <sighs> all right. Um, all right. Kanye West. So Joe Rogan, I, this is not the first conversation I've had about Joe Rogan on the show recently um, because I have been encouraged to be more like Joe Rogan. So you may get um, a Rogarian experience from time to time, which just means I'm going to be absolutely curious and um, and no subject is off limits. No, Joe Rogan also like kind of allows the guest to um, create a depth and a pace. So uh, anyway, but we but you and I don't have three hours, and so let's talk about Kanye West, who talked with Joe Rogan for three hours. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's a long time. But why are we talking about it this morning? Yeah. So it's real fascinating. So that's not unique for Joe Rogan. He's got a podcast. You might remember him from shows such as News Radio uh, back in the '90s, sitcoms, and the or on UFC. He's a ringside commentator. Joe Rogan is just a he's a I, I like to consider him a kind alien in the sense that one, he hosts these conversations that are wide ranging with just officials that are sleep experts to individuals that are trying to legalize marijuana to entertainers like Kanye West. And so hosts these wide ranging conversations, one, and it, there's a kindness to him and a hospit- hospitality that he creates in his studio that is just so captivating and alluring. I've upwards of over 100 million people or downloads of his podcast are happening every month. He's just, he is just a, he's a phenomenal interviewer because he just make, creates a kind and hospitable area for his guests to be able to just espouse whatever views or whatever subjects that they want to talk about. And it goes everywhere. 
And then the second thing is he's an alien. It's almost like he's an alien. It, he just does not, he doesn't have any assumptions and he just spells everything out, deconstructs everything like someone that is just not from here. So regardless of whether you know anything about Kanye West, during the three hour interview that he had with him, he is deconstructing everything and spelling out everything right before you so that you can join him and come along with it. And it just makes it for a very palatable, makes it for a very interesting, engaging uh, conversation that you're just kind of getting a chance to join a dinner table uh, mealtime conversation that's ha- happening a little bit longer than the meal. And it's just it's just captivating. So I've, I've been an individual that's I've listened to him for uh, years now and absolutely love his interview style and learn more than what I ever thought. But when it comes to actual subject, Kanye, as we know, Kanye's had his conversion experience, and it was just fascinating to hear his take on deconstructing what we know as the church here in the U.S. and how Kanye would want to make it better. So even in outlet outlets like uh, Forbes, um, the some of the takeaways that are highlighted from the Kanye West interview on the Joe Rogan experience. Um, is that he really, really, he's really, really into God. That's actually a, a pretty big heading in, um, uh, in this particular conversation, although it is, it roams around um, a lot, and it's a bit of a stream of consciousness, and Kanye West does most of the talking. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but, but here's a sentence out of, the, out of the Forbes takeaway. No matter the topic, God formed the pillar of West's thoughts, opinions, and plans. When Rogan asked a political question, West tended to answer with uh, a vague intention to follow God's will. Um, maybe what I want to highlight here is Kanye West's ability to bring the um, his experience with God, his conversion experience, to bear on every area of his life. I mean, I I was pretty impressed with that. I mean, Carmen, if you if you listen to, I don't know if you've gotten a chance because again, it's three hours. I haven't listened to the full three hours. I confess, huge chunk. (laughs) Uh, There's one moment where he he realizes that he's being asked a political question, and he stops. There's a pause for a few seconds, which on radio, you know, a pause is pretty significant. And then he says, "Sorry, I I just had to pray to God to give me the words to say." Which is, I mean, for those that have ears to hear, that's the exact promise that Jesus gives us: that uh, that don't worry, that uh, I will give you the words to say in time of need. No, and then he gives a response. He gives a response to this very political, fraught question, and wrote and Rogan just being very kind, hospitable, and having something that he's never heard before because sometimes talking points are just so pervasive during this time. He, he says that that was something that he's never heard before. It was very thoughtful and it was, very, it was something that he was going to have to reconsider uh, uh, after the interview. It's just it, it's a mm. very much that that's the, that's the type of conversations that are characteristic of Rogan, which are unique one. But then two, Kanye, it's very clear that he's he is like he is like Jacob wrestling with God that has been transformed into Israel. He's wrestling with God and it has transformed how he sees everything from abortion, how he sees everything from uh, 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 politics, how he sees his experience when it comes to uh, working as a artist now, it, as he sees it as a businessman. It is just it, it is just clear that he is processing what does it look like now to follow after Christ as he does these things. And it's a captivating listen. And for people who um, have not and maybe will not listen to the Joe Rogan interview, 
uh, Kanye West um, declared that he intends to um, run for president in 2024, regardless of who wins this time around. Yeah, he uh, he's convinced again. This is uh, <laughs> so he's, he mentioned yeah. it's a call from God. So, yeah, I'm just saying, like, yeah. you know, heads up, people heads up. All right. Hey, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, Nick Pitts is going to bring us up to down the murder hornets. Yes, the murder hornets. Because it's 2020, and so we're talking about it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You say it comes to Uh, I am talking with Nick Pitts. You can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. You can also find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. Um, Nick, can you bring us up to date on the murder hornets? We we heard about them, and then we haven't talked about them again, and now there's an update. My goodness. And so if 2020 <laughs> has not been a banner year for bad <laughs> news, we now we heard about these murder hornets in the late spring, early summer of 2020. And now we've got word, thankfully, that the Washington State Department of Agriculture uh, has found and destroyed these murder hornets on a property in Blaine, which is near the Canadian border. Another reason to just be very mindful that the Canadians may be nice, um, that but they are also individuals that deserve our attention as well. And so that. But an all joking aside, yeah, we found these murder hornets, and finally they've been eradicated. Well, this one nest. This one nest that we know. Yes, of, let us know, not let us flying. not let us not imagine to ourselves that there was only one nest. Anyway, yeah, there yeah. you go. It's it's the unfolding plot of a terrible movie. Okay, um, so uh, can we go to the moon? If you, if you insist, I think I moon. think we should go to the moon. Apparently, there um, there is more water on the moon. Um, NASA has agreed to uh, allow Nokia to be the first cell provider to build a tower on the moon. I don't know. That sounds crazy. What else do we need to know? What is going on? My goodness gracious. Yeah. So we're finding <laughs> we're finding we're finding out more and more about what's happening on the moon. I know if, if for those of that were uh, interested in or have paid attention to Newt Gingrich over the years, we know that he's always had an affinity for going out into space. And so this appears to be uh, a, a dream come true for the man who is now the husband of the ambassador to the Vatican. Um, and so uh, I thought you were yeah, going to say just, like like that we that we now had an ambassador to the moon and I I I was going to say that is breaking news I had not yet heard. So you know yes, we've got we've got his... space force so it's only a matter of time before <laughs> before we get an ambassador out there. And maybe my my vote's going to be for Tom Hanks just because Apollo 13 was oh, very formative right. to my understanding of space and so maybe maybe that's a great role for Tom. And All right, doesn't so, like time. So if there is that's ex- no, that's exactly of, right. Uh, he would be a good extraterrestrial life out there. They're going to love Tom like we love Tom. So speaking of extraterrestrial life, um, so we we would we had reported here <clears throat> that NASA had successfully um, not just orbited an asteroid, but sent out a, a mechanical arm and grabbed some stuff. It was called a grab and go. Um, and like a snatch and like a snatch and go kind of thing. Um, and that that material is now on its way back to Earth in reading um, the coverage of this. It seems as if the the plan, the hope is in an area of what's called astrobiology, what they are hoping um, are contained in those samples from the asteroid are evidence uh, material that will point them to, and this is their language, not mine, the origins of life. Um, so can we just talk a little bit about why it matters that um, 
science is searching for the origins of life? What does that tell us? And um, what does this do in terms of the conversation between science and faith? Yeah, I, what we've always known to be true is that NASA has been uh, just a, a keen innovator here in the American experience. And so they've all, they have provided us with a litany of products that we now every day just kind of uh, assume and take for granted just because their innovations are leading them uh, to create a better experience for us here on the earth. And we know that since the scientific revolution, there's just been this push, this just huge push to be able to provide an answer for everything. But uh, and even though we know uh, more than we've ever known and have access to more information than we've ever had, just at the tips of our fingers, that still is not sufficient. And the God question still continues to, to haunt uh, our souls, one might say. And with NASA, NASA now being the innovators that they've always been, but also the uh, question of eternity being where it's always been in the heart of every man, what we find now is that these two are converging together and inevitably they are asking a question that many Americans may have not been uh, listening to that question brimming within their soul for years now. And I think it's going to be a great time to be able to, to have these conversations around, okay, NASA's opening up, um, is initiating them yet again. What, what can it be for us today as Christians who know that we have climbed the top of the mountain of meaning and uh, maybe the scientists are making their way up there, but the, the theologians and the Christians have been there at the top enjoying communion with the Lord. So I want to read um, a paragraph from, this is from the nasa.gov website, and it is about this effort on the part of NASA to um, actually touch these asteroids and grab stuff from them uh, and what the purpose of all of this is. So it's called the origins. I mean, this is, the, oh, sorry, it's called a risis. It's an important conversation for us to have, um, first of all, so that we understand what our government is engaged in. But even when you just read this description, as a person of faith who believes in what the Bible says about creation, um, you know, I am going to have to engage in this conversation. I cannot simply just say, oh, well, that doesn't have any meaning and I can disregard that conversation because we have to, as thinking people, um, engage in these conversations today. So this is a bit of a challenge. So here's the lead off, Nick. Asteroids have been orbiting the sun for thousands of millennia in deep space, standing as ancient storytellers, holding clues about the formation of the solar system. NASA's first mission to collect a sample from an asteroid, and then it gives the whole long name, the Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer, or the OSIRIS-REx, is now ready to make its first collection attempt, and this, this already happened, of the potentially dangerous asteroid Bennu and bring its secrets home to Earth. But NASA also has several other asteroid missions coming up with varying purposes, as well as a dynamic program to help us identify and learn more about potentially dangerous objects to defend our planet. You want to make any comments? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that, fir that first sentence. Read that first sentence again. That there's, there's Asteroids have been orbiting the sun for thousands of millennia in deep space, standing as ancient storytellers. My goodness, yeah. That, I mean, you could all say it's a modern. They're in Anna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can almost you can hear. I, I mean, I for my that's ears, a marketing I can department, hear, man. 
yeah, uh, Psalm 19, right? The heavens declare the glory of the Amen. Lord, and, and how you see in the first seven verses, you talk, you see the writer of the psalm uh, pointing to the skies and the wonders and the amazement of what God has made, and in the second half, the last seven verses of Psalm 19, is talking about the glories of the laws of the Lord, and so to a certain degree, yes, these rocks are telling stories, uh, and that might be a bit exaggerative language, but they're telling stories of the 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 rock of all ages, our our ancient of days. Oh, I like that. I'm writing that down. The rock of ages, the ancient of days. I'm thinking here about the rocks crying out and they certainly yeah. uh, declare the glory of God. Oh, see, aren't you good? Thank you so much. That's why we have you on to. Bring... <laughs> yeah, and not for the, and not for the jokes, not for my, not for my bring... bad uh, Tennessee, Texas humor. <laughs> oh, all right. We can't wait to talk with you after the election, even though we don't really know when that will be. <clears throat> we, uh, we look forward to it. Good? Okay, it's so good to be with you, Carmen. It's so good to be with you, Nick. Thanks so much. That's Nick Pitts. You can find him on Twitter at JNickPitts. We'll be right back. Christian colleges and universities face a unique set of challenges as the demographics of the nation are changing, uh, as the preferences of the nation are changing in terms of uh, of higher ed, uh, as families are, frankly, less and less committed to helping their young people cultivate a Christian worldview and more interested in um, being sure that they are prepared for particular vocations. Christian higher ed just faces lots of challenges right now. And so we're going to have Dr. Alan Curitan, president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, Join us next. We're going to talk to talk with him about UNW's response to COVID. We're going to talk with him about the challenges that uh, Christian institutions of higher education face today. And we're going to talk with him about maybe some expectations of, uh, of how those colleges and universities might be affected by this presidential election. All that with Dr. Curitan up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When things go wrong at your house, are you afraid to talk about it with others? Afraid it'll make you look like a bad parent? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says this, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. This is wise counsel for parents, because struggling silently with your teen can mean disaster in the family. Sit down with someone you trust or collect a group of parents who are facing the same issues with their kids. Talk about the struggle you face and listen to advice. In the process, you'll likely have your eyes open to a few blind spots. Without the guidance of trustworthy friends, your family might silently implode. Take Proverbs 11 to heart and seek wise advisors. Mark Gregston has more helpful resources for you at parentingtodaysteens.org. Dr. Alan Curitan, president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, joins me now. Dr. Curitan, welcome. Oh, thank you, Carmen. It's just good to be here with you and Paul and just back in the studio again. It's always, it's always great to talk with you. So um, talk with us a little bit about, give us a little perspective, a little insider look. What has it been like to be a university president in COVID-19? And um, and what is it like to be the president of a Christian institute of higher education in these days? Well, to answer your first question on the COVID, it's been an interesting journey. Um, I 
can't uh, maybe describe it in any other way than that, Carmen, because we found out at spring break, I mean, the students were away at the time when this uh, uh, pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, we had to make the decision. We made the decision quickly like everybody else, given the information we had at that time. And so we told the students to stay home. We adjusted. We adapted. The faculty, we took two weeks for the faculty to uh, re-engage in an online format, which uh, took a considerable amount of work and effort on their part to then redesign their classes. Um, People... um, Unless you've been in the teacher, you know, in, in the classroom leading classes and developing, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So we adapted. We adjusted. Students then uh, went online. And eventually, over the next seven weeks, they all came back to get their belongings that were on campus. And then um, then we had to begin to make decisions. Okay, what are we going to do for the summer, for summer semester? And then what are we going to do for the fall? And so we made the immediate decision to, to stay online in the summer as things were evolving and as they were evolving, we could pre, you know, pretty much as more information came, we could make the decisions. And that went well. We were uh, pleasantly surprised. People adapted. People adjusted. Uh, we were all in the same, uh, if you use the cliche, boat together. So it was kind of like, okay, let's adjust. And then what we did, Carmen, is that we established what I call the P5 team. The P5 team, when I began to look at procedures and policies and plans and and pricing, you know, all that. I thought, oh, five Ps, let's just create a committee. We did. And then I asked my chief academic officer, Dr. Summers, if she would lead this effort. And they created 13 different pathways in case something, you know, if something involved or something happened. So if A happened, we go to A. If B happened, then, or C hit, then D, all the way down. And A was the first choice, Carmen, back to campus face-to-face, and that's what we've done, and it's gone extremely well. We've had some cases of COVID, I think eight uh, at my last count. We had a number of students that were in quarantine, and but the, here, here's the sweet, sweet thing about it, is that when all the new students came for orientation, when their parents came, all the parents were saying, thank you, thank you. We appreciate this. We, we, we want our, st- our student face-to-face. The students, when we surveyed them this summer, Carmen, they all wanted to come back. I mean, it was overwhelming face-to-face. Because you got to imagine, and, and, and our listeners out there understand, they're home with their siblings. They're all trying to wrestle with more broadband. How can I get access? If they even have access to the Internet, don't assume that everybody does. And then, you know, this, and then they're all hunkered down in the house 24-7, you know, seven days a week, et cetera. So the students were anxious to return. And plus the fact they missed the community. That's one of the aspects of Northwestern and schools like us is the sense of community. So, so it's been a huge challenge. It's been, I can tell you in my 42 years in higher education, this, this has been phenomenal, but it has been for us as a country has been mm-hmm. for us as a, as a culture, you know, how do we adapt, how do we adjust. And so um, we're in it, we're doing it. And fortunately, our students are, are, are you know, we, we have a mantra here. If you're not eating or sleeping, you're masking. So uh, it's up to the students. It's up to the students. If we <laughs> no, really it totally stay. is. Like, right, it is it is cultivating um, a, a genuine experience of and appreciation for personal responsibility. Exactly. And, and love of neighbor. Right. Like, I think both of those, um, and at a, at a Christian school, you can actually, like, use those passages of Scripture. Right. Um, I am. I, it, it is notable to me that very, very large secular institutions of higher ed are having a very hard time doing what 
um, Christian schools seem to be adapting to fairly well. Right. Um, and so if you guys want to check out the University of Northwestern, I encourage you to do so, unwsp.edu. Um, we are on campus. We are in person. Um, and yes, there is online learning available. There's all kinds of really cool stuff. It is a beautiful place. Um, and it's distinctively Christian. It's not Christian just in like heritage or, you know, hey, Billy Graham was once the president here. It is Christian in reality. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because there's a difference. There is a difference. And uh, our faculty and every member on campus, every staff member has a professing personal faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're a custodian, if you're in support services, if you're in IT, if you're in the president's office, everyone has a professing faith in Jesus Christ and a contagious faith. So also uh, our curriculum, our curriculum is grounded in a biblical worldview. What does that mean? That means that every class, every class is taught from the perspective of a Christ-centered worldview, whether it be in science, business, communications, education, literature, etc. It's all based on that. And then in our core curriculum, Carmen, in our core, we ask our students to take 30 hours of biblical study. So we want them to know Scripture. We want them to understand it. We want them to be able to comprehend and be able to read. If, you know, we have Hebrew, we have Greek, we have Latin. We want them to be able to read things in the original languages. And so if they're willing to do that, it takes a little bit of effort to learn Greek and Hebrew, as you know. And so, uh, uh, but it just opens up scripture to them. And so then they leave and they leave and they go into industries like radio and they and they make a difference. They saturate the culture. They become leaders. They become the fragrance of Christ that Paul talks about in Second Corinthians. Just, you know, just the aroma of Christ within the community. And that's what we want. We want students to be impacting culture. Claim it for Christ wherever God calls them. Christian institutions, um, Christian schools, I mean, just in the way that you described at the very beginning, you know, that every member of the faculty and staff are professing Christians, um, people of Mm -hmm. contagious faith, evangelical faith, Mm -hmm. desiring for that to be cultivated in the lives um, of students and everybody else that is touched um, through through every part of of the University of Northwestern. Mm Mm-hmm. But that is, um, and this is going to tee up the question that I'm going to ask you to address just after the break, that is um, not guaranteed to persist. Like that is a freedom that Christian institutions of higher ed have now because they enjoy um, protections uh, from, from having to employ just anyone and everyone who happens to uh, want to work there. Um, And so I want to talk with you about the election process that we are currently in, and I want to surface again the Equality Act, because um, one of the candidates for the office of the presidency has announced his absolute commitment to the implementation of the Equality Act, and I want you to remind us what that is and why it's a threat to to Christian colleges and universities. That conversation up next with Dr. Alan Curitan, president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can find the university at unwsp.edu. We'll be right back. Dr. Alan Curitan is the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Uh, And this program, Mornings with Carmen, this radio ministry, Faith Radio, which you can find at 
MyFaithRadio.com, is all a part of the broader ministry of mm. the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And so mm. uh, you guys need to know that as well. So, Dr. Curitan, when we talk about the election and we talk about elections matter, one of the reasons that this particular election matters is because there is a piece of legislation pending in Congress uh, called the Equality Act, to which uh, Joe Biden in particular has announced his absolute commitment to implementation. What would the Equality Act's implementation mean to Christian colleges and universities? Well, I'm going to be very uh, direct and very simple in this assessment, but it would basically take away our right to hire by faith. And that scares me. You know, we we stand as an uh, organization that is deeply committed to hiring individuals of our faith, our theological perspective, our position, just like Brigham Young would do it for the Mormon faith, Yoshiva would do it for the Jewish faith, you know, any of the Catholic institutions that have a propensity to hire only Catholics, um, like um, uh, there's a school in uh, Franciscan in, I think, Steubenville, Ohio. Anyways, all right. But it would basically take away our right to use that as an evaluation point in the hiring of any individual. And that frightens me because if we don't have a person in the classroom in front of our students who believes in and reflects and and thinks from a biblical worldview, we've lost our uniqueness, Carmen. We've lost our position, and that deeply scares me. Now, to tell, just to share with people, H.R. 4, House of Representatives 4, that's the fourth bill submitted in this session of Congress is the Equality Act. That's how important it is to the majority uh, uh, party that's in control of the House. And so, uh, and what's discour- discouraging to me is that about 70 Republicans have co-signed the bill as well. So you've got every every member of the House on one side of the party, plus there might be one or two uh, in that party that haven't signed it, but 60 to 70 other Republicans. And and that's the, it's going across both sides of the aisle, and that scares me. Uh, yeah. It has not gone to the Senate. The Senate has blocked it and has said we're not even thinking about that bill. Uh, but if there is a possible sweep of the House and the Senate and the White House, it'll be the first bill passed in Congress and signed by the new president. So this gets to the elections matter conversation, right? So we're not just talking about whether or not Joe Biden is elected president. We're also talking about whether or not um, Republicans maintain a majority in the Senate. Because right now, um, the Equality Act is is effectively blocked by the majority of uh, Republicans in the Senate. But if, as you note, um, uh, Democrats win not only the White House but are able to flip the Senate, this is, Joe Biden has said, the first order priority. Right. Um, And that is a really significant conversation for us to be prepared for um, in this election cycle. Um, I know that you have on your radar some other things going on at colleges and universities across the country. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that some of that has to do with free speech. (laughs) <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it does. Go on. So you, do you no, want to talk about that? No, I was just going to say, yeah, brief us in. Well, um, colleges and universities are meant to be places where ideas are debated and discussed and shared and analyzed. And uh, when you cannot do that, when people tr- seek to shut you down, 
because of your position and your viewpoint. And, and we're seeing that across our culture right now, this cancel culture, et cetera. If you bring up a view that is not popular or that is not, uh, if you will, socially acceptable, um, it's, uh, you know, free speech then becomes uh, questionable. So, so at any college campus, you want to make sure that there's an opportunity for students in a gracious, if you will, or, you know, just un- if you can do it an emotional way, we, you want to be able to discuss and debate those ideas because that's where ideas are shaped and formed and, and, and discussions are taking place. I'll give you an example. People often ask us, you know, what, is, what worldview, do, what do you teach when it comes to science? You know, what, what you know, theory do you teach? And I said, we teach them all. We teach them all because we want students to understand young earth. We want students to understand intelligent design. We want students to understand theistic evolution and evolution and the differences and and how each perspective comes. But if you're at a secular institution, they only teach one view, and that's evolution, period. So you talk about a lack, in my view, of academic freedom. Now, we don't believe... You know, what, you know, the faculty will say, this is my position, you know, where, when it comes to young earth or intelligent design, this is where we're at. But, but at least we're teaching all the views at a Christian college. That would not happen at a number of our institutions across the country because the culture has bought into a specific position that shows that I am intellectually part of the elite. Now, let's go to free speech. So recently at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, a student had set up a booth asking students to sign up for a conservative group that she was with. Someone passing, who happened to be a graduate assistant at the time, saw the group, did not like the group, and began shouting at this student. So this graduate assistant was in her 40s. The student, she was in her late teens, not even 20 yet, shouting at her, you know, calling her vulgar names and everything in public, etc., because she was trying to get students to sign up for a conservative viewpoint. Things escalated. Another faculty came in, tried to calm things down. Things did not go well, et cetera, and they ended up separating. But it made the news because someone videotaped it on their, on their iPhone. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it went out, all right? Then what happened is that later, within a relatively short period of time, the faculty member was called in who tried to correct the situation or, or at least de-accelerate it. And the former, she talked to the former chief academic officer of the University of Nebraska, who said, you know, in all reality, and this is in a written email, our faculty have shifted from any conservative viewpoints all the way over to a liberal side, and that's a dominant view here on the campus. Well, that email was uncovered in, you know, uh, in Sunshine Laws, and it went, it went across the, the state. And so now you've got an issue where, the state, Nebraska, tends to be conservative, but there's an, a, a public acknowledgement that their faculty has moved to a significantly liberal base, period. And that has called a huge disruption in the state of Nebraska, as you can imagine. But also, here again, was shutting down a viewpoint. Free speech doesn't exist when you do not agree with the prevailing culture. And that's what we want to make sure at any institution like Northwestern, you have an opportunity to discuss ideas, albeit where you're coming from, but we want you to articulate it and defend it and 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 be open, be open to a biblical worldview in a sense because we can teach the truth. And the truth, Carmen, capital T is what we find in scripture. 
And everything we do is at Northwestern is evaluated by Scripture. Defend your position by Scripture. Can you do that? I'm getting on my soapbox. Okay. No, that's okay. Your soapbox is a good one to be on. <laughs> that is Alan Curitan. He is the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. We want you to check it out at unwsp.edu. Dr. Curitan, one one thing going on on campus right now that you're excited about. Oh, the one thing? Well, well I mean, this... I got you because we, we don't have unlimited time. It's live radio, and <laughs> Paul's going to make us take a break. Okay, great. Well, the one thing um, I think it's exciting for us that other institutions are not doing at this time is that we're still competing in athletics. Well, that's you know, fun. Well, we're the only NCAA school. Now, granted, Iowa started playing, Minnesota started playing in Wisconsin, but we were the only NCAA Division three school in Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota playing. All the others have decided not to do it. We've only had one of our student-athletes tested for COVID, and we've been competing with the schools mainly out of the Dakotas and Nebraska and, uh, and and Missouri. Just So I'm just saying it can still be done. The high schools are doing it. The high schools are doing it, and, and things are getting, we're, you know, it's competitive. So when you talk about exciting, we're doing that. We're doing our theatrical plays, Carmen, but we're doing them outside. So we did the Beauty and the Beast outside in the courtyard. Uh, granted, we had to limit a- attendance, but it, we did it. And so it can be done. It can be done. You just got to be creative. Well, we appreciate that you are creative. We also appreciate that you are committed um, to Christ and to the cultivation of a biblical worldview among the students and the faculty at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Um, I know I personally benefit from that. So we want to encourage you guys to check out what's happening at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, unwsp.edu. Dr. Alan Curitan, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts by faith. Where are you in the Word of God today? I am in the consideration of what it means, what it looks like in my life to let the peace of God rule in my heart by faith. What what is my heart ruled by? Who is ruling my heart? To what am I giving my attention this day? I want to encourage you to consider Colossians 3.15 and, um, and that question of allowing the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, since as members of one body, we are called to peace and be thankful. So let's just settle in there for a moment. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. We've got another hour. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.